0: Thought Leadership Studio. You're listening to Thought Leadership Studio, the podcast that helps you master high-level positive mass influence to create distinctive business niches, captivate an audience, grow your following, and change the game by changing frame with strategic thought leadership. Thought Leadership Studio. Welcome back to Thought Leadership Studio. I'm your host, Chris McNeil, and this is episode 66, The Interplay of Artificial Intelligence and Humanity with David Espindola. Navigating the Future, AI's Role in Shaping Human Consciousness and Business Transformation with the author of Soulful, You in the Future of Artificial Intelligence. What this episode will do for you is take you on David's tech and AI journey, his transition from Silicon Valley to a leader in AI, exploring his extensive background in technology and entrepreneurship. Gain insights from the key concepts of David's book, Soulful AI, which examines the intricate relationship between AI and human consciousness. Tap into AI and human collaboration, understand the synergistic relationship between humans and AI, emphasizing the importance of empathy and relationship building in systems that include both humans and artificial intelligence in the loop. Gain perspectives on the hurdles organizations face when integrating AI, including ethical considerations and privacy issues. Explore AI's role in enhancing human performance. Learn about its transformative impact in areas like education and sports and how it can augment instead of replace human capabilities. And empowering society with AI knowledge by exploring the necessity for society to embrace AI education, preparing for a future where AI plays a significant role in various sectors. But before we dive more deeply into this episode, in case you're new here, consider that I created the Thought Leadership Studio podcast to help listeners improve their thought leadership skills. So whether or not you consider yourself a thought leader at this point Consider that I've come to the conclusion that the practice of strategic thought leadership is now fundamental to effective marketing and helpful in any area of positive influence. It's about leading an audience to embrace a unique perspective that gives them more value. So this podcast is designed... To provide an accelerated training process. And an important part of this is having models of excellence, for which I provide interviews of people who excel in one or more areas relevant to strategic thought leadership. And if you're listening on an app, make sure you visit the episode page on thoughtleadershipstudio.com. It's linked in the episode description for a summary of the episode with a curated transcript, a story, and images and additional resources and offers. So in this episode, I interviewed David Espindola, an entrepreneur, keynote speaker, author, consultant, and advisor. We discussed the intersection of artificial intelligence and human performance, as well as the transformative potential of AI in various areas. David shares his background in technology and entrepreneurship and explains how he became interested in AI. He also talks about his book, Soulful AI, which explores the relationship between AI and human consciousness. We touch on topics such as the collaborative approach between humans and AI, the challenges of AI adoption in organizations, the importance of privacy and ethical considerations, and the need for society to embrace and educate itself about AI with new paradigms. David emphasizes the need for humans to leverage their unique capabilities such as empathy and relationship building while collaborating with AI and provides insights into the role of AI in enhancing human performance, particularly in areas like education and sports. So, without further ado, let's jump right into the interview. Thought Leadership Studio. your host of Thought Leadership Studio, Chris McNeil, and I'm sitting here across Zoom with David Espindola, who's an entrepreneur, keynote speaker, award-winning author, consultant, and advisor. And he's the founder of Brainius, a company that applies the principles of transformative purpose, lifelong learning, and servant leadership to guide human AI transformation. What a fascinating topic. Welcome, David. Great to have you here.
1: Thank you very much, Chris. It's a pleasure being here with you.
0: Um, so to introduce our audience to you, if you don't mind, can you tell us a little bit about your story on what set you off on this path, that there is a, maybe a pivotal moment or transformative moment or epiphany that helped you make the connection with AI and human performance, transformative purpose, and the things that you speak about and, and work with?
1: yeah i'd be more than happy to do that so you know it started way back when i started my career i started my career in silicon valley so from the very beginning i got exposure to the world of technology and entrepreneurship uh, and i just saw i was fascinated by the possibilities i worked at uh, two very fast growing companies one of which did an ipo and I just fascinated by Know the the power uh, of technology and and how influential it was. Mm -hmm. Uh, So after that, I decided that I wanted to go work for a large software company. So I went to work for Oracle. I was in the consulting business. I worked with a a number of large organizations, Fortune 500 companies, and helped them with their business processes and helped them with uh, adopting technology. Um, After I was done at Oracle, I decided that I wanted to pursue a CIO career. I had a a boss at Oracle that had become a CIO, and he was very kind and generous in inviting me to go work with him. And he showed me the ropes, he gave me the experiences that I needed, and then when the right opportunity came along, I became the CIO of a software company uh, in Chicago. And so for that entire period of time when I was at Oracle and and, and pursuing my CIO career, I was actually commuting to Chicago. I live in, in Minnesota, in Minneapolis. And so I traveled for 20 years. And then uh, once uh, there was a transition at, at this company that I worked at, and after that I said, you know, I'm done traveling. I don't want to travel anymore. And I started doing my own thing. And uh, so I've been on this quest of transformation and discovery, and, and just uh, trying to apply other things that I learned throughout my career to to help uh, people and organizations transform. You know, all tied in with technology, which is what I've spent my entire career on. And so three years ago, I decided to uh, write a book. I had uh, an opportunity. I'm on an advisory board of TLI, the Technological Leadership Institute at the University of Minnesota, and uh, one of the directors there is an editor for uh, IEEE. They have a series that they were doing on management, technology, and innovation, and they're looking for writers to write a book uh, on that topic. So I uh, wrote a book with a co-author called The Exponential Era. And the whole premise behind the book was, you know, things are changing so fast. Uh, We have all these incredible platforms that are growing exponentially, and, and companies are having a hard time just keeping up with all these changes. So we wrote about these platforms, we wrote about the impact on business, and we provided a methodology for these companies to actually be able to deal with all these fast changes. And so in that, process, um, there was one platform that I thought was really going to be tremendous that's going to, you know, change business, change society, change the way we work, and, and that was AI. Yeah. And I thought, you know, I, I should write another book, just focused on AI, and that's how I came about writing my latest book, which is uh, Soulful, You and the Future of Artificial Intelligence. And I'm just um, you know, uh, amazed at how fast this technology is changing. It's just fascinating.
0: I was looking at some of the reviews for Soulful and Amazon, as I mentioned, and it seems like you're speaking to the intersection of human consciousness and artificial Something intelligence.
1: Like Please try again. Just a second here. My phone is... All right. So, uh, yeah. So, you know, in the book, so the the title itself, right? Soulful Um, and then Artificial Intelligence. So writing the title, what I tried to do was capture this juxtaposition of the human intelligence, you know, the emotional, the soft side of being human with the hard analytical predictive aspects of, you know, being a machine and, and artificial intelligence. And um, I believe it's really the combination of the two that's, that's very, very powerful, right? The machines can do a lot of things that we are not so good at, but we have a lot of things that we can do as humans that the machines can't do, you know, things like empathy, things like building relationships, building trust, um, so it's, it's really that combination of the two that I wanted to capture in the book and, and and talk about how I believe this technology is going to be transformational to us as humans, transformational to society. And there, you know, technology is neutral, right? Technology is neither good nor bad, but, uh, it does have some good things that you can do with it. And there are some negative things that can can come from that. So I tried to capture um, some of the concerns as well, but I wanted to give it a positive picture because I had seen so many negative uh, stories and, and, and just commentary on social media and, and in the media in general about you know AI is going to take over, it's gonna take our jobs, it's gonna do all this terrible stuff. And I, w- I wanted to counter that with some positives as well while acknowledging some of the ethical concerns at the same time.
0: Well, I'm sure some horse farmers were concerned about automobiles taking their jobs at one point as exactly. well. Exactly. But They created a lot more jobs and it just took some flexibility. So this is a, a fascinating topic to me and there's so many threads I'd like to explore with you. And one of them is what about the, the usefulness of instead of considering is AI better for this or are humans better for this, or AI is competing with humans in this projection as if it's another species, instead considering the system of a human working with artificial intelligence, the input from the human into the AI, the output from the AI is fed back to the human that allows the human to modify that, and the input and output from that system of human and AI interaction. Would that be a more useful way to think about it?
1: Yeah, I like to think about it that way. You know, I I like to think of our interaction with AI as being a a collaborative approach, right? So we've had computer systems for for many, many years. Uh, But our interface and our interaction with these computer systems have been uh, not as dynamic as it can be with AI, because AI can be very responsive, and it can give you new possibilities, new ideas, and you can take that response, and then you can refine it, and you can throw it back at AI, and AI can then give you some other response, and it's a, it's a dialogue, it's a collaborative effort. So I think it's, it's very powerful from that standpoint.
0: I, I agree with that, and I, I wonder about, especially in the implementation within organizations, with system design with an organization that incorporates AI if maybe sometimes there's too much reductionist thinking in terms of AI should do this and humans should do this instead of the proper design of the system as a whole that has a purpose but includes AI and humans within the loop that achieves this purpose?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think the challenge is that Uh, There are several challenges. One of them is, you know, this is new, right? So everybody's trying to really understand what this means. What's the impact to the workforce? What's the impact to the business? So there's a lot of of learning and experimenting that's going on right now. Um, And the second is uh, the fact that change is hard, right? Change is hard no matter uh, what technology or, or what situation we're dealing with. And this one is particularly hard because I think there's a lot of fear out there. You know, people are afraid of this, especially this whole aspect of AI taking their jobs and so on. So um, I I think there's some challenges there in terms of the change management process where we need to educate the workforce on, you know, what's real, what's hype, uh, how this technology can be used, how it can benefit the organization, how it can benefit individuals and teach them how to uh, learn how to collaborate with the system. So that educational component, I think, is really, really critical.
0: Uh, I agree, and is not one of the strongest, if not the strongest human motivation is towards the familiar. And Absolutely. anything that pulls us away from the familiar. And I'd like to get your thoughts too, especially saying the book, Soulful, about maybe it's projection, Maybe it's partly not of considering potential, quote, sentience of AI. And, and my thoughts on it are well, perhaps in the sense that somebody who's ridden a motorcycle on a racing track, you become one with the machine and your sense of self extends to include the rubber on the road. And only through that can you be conscious enough of what the motorcycle is doing to stay safe at high speeds. And on the other hand, the withdrawal of the sense of self of perhaps a surgeon working on a a traumatic accident victim, or if he was fully immersed in himself, it'd be very difficult to do because of the emotion it brings about. So they have to almost withdraw their sense of self. Are we extending our sense of self through AI in this sense, or are there other dynamics you'd like to speak to about that?
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question. So it gets into uh, a number of different uh, conversations. So let me see if I can unpack this a little bit. So I I do think that in a way, we are sort of becoming cyborgs, right? Because we are so dependent on our technology. Uh, Just think about how smartphones revolutionized our lives. I, I can't even imagine what life was like before my smartphone right and now it's, sure. it's like it's part of me if i don't have my phone with me i'm sort of lost right i don't know what to do because everything that i need is there sure. um, and, and now we're taking that even further because you know we have smart watches we have smart glasses we have um, chips that are being inserted into people's hands i don't know if you've seen this but there's a company called Walletmore that will insert a tiny little chip in your hand so you can make purchases with that chip. Um, And then, you know, people are working on on BCI and, um, you know, there's the possibility that someday we'll have a chip inserted into our brain that we'll use to make purchases, to communicate with other people and so on and so forth. So we're becoming uh, ever more, uh, you know, intertwined with these technologies and becoming Dependent and extended by them. On the other hand, you know when we talk about being human and and having consciousness, um, I think the challenge is that we don't really have a real good understanding or or definition for what consciousness really is. Um, and so it's hard to talk about machines becoming conscious. Um, I lean towards thinking that uh, machines will not become conscious. uh, Whether we're going to reach AGI or not, you know, artificial general intelligence, which is another term that's used often, and it's also a term that has multiple definitions, uh, that's also debatable. I think there are some AI experts that believe that we may be very close to getting there. There's one senior Google executive that said he believes there's a 50% chance that we'll get to AGI within five years. And then you have other AI experts, you know, the one that comes to mind is Kai-Fu Lee, and he believes that we got so many uh, challenges uh, to be able to get to AGI, you know, things like understanding emotional intelligence, understanding counterfactual thinking, understanding you know um, some of the cognitive capabilities that we have as humans that are very difficult to duplicate in machines so there's huge debate about you know AGI whether we're going to get there or not or how long it's going to take um, I think this is an exponential technology so it's possible that these machines will become ever more capable and, and, and intelligent but I still think there's a human aspect of this um, that is very very difficult to to replicate in machines
0: Well, when I consider what it is to be a human in relationship to artificial intelligence, to me, it brings up issues like what, what makes us human. And there's the, of course, the mechanical aspects of the brain. And in that aspect, certainly AI can do certain calculations much faster than the human brain can. Mm -hmm. But me we're more than our thoughts or our thinking even our mind let alone our brain yep and i think about uh anthropologist philosopher and system thinker Gregory Bateson's definition of logical levels where the simplest explanation i found for that is uh, in sports the player is at a lower logical level than the team because the way the team plays together, you know, the player participates in that, but the team is a higher order and influences the player in what he has to do a lot more than the player influences the team. And the league would influence the teams because the league sets the rules of the game, et cetera, and the team has to work within those constrictions. So the league would be at a higher level of the team. And I think Bateson's statement was something like that a set of members cannot be a member of its own set. And that's how he right. defines a higher logical level and consciousness to me is at a higher logical level than understanding because all of our understanding happens within consciousness Mm. so how are we ever going to quote understand consciousness yet i see a lot of people who project consciousness into machines as if it's going to emerge from the machine from an assumption that consciousness emerges from biology which i haven't seen any evidence of that whatsoever it's more like to me sensory experience, including our experience of biology, exist within a field of consciousness. And I know you've written about consciousness in your book. What are your thoughts on the relationship of consciousness and technology?
1: Yeah, no, I, I love the way you you put that. Um, I, I think uh, it's difficult for us to really understand consciousness because consciousness is is part of what we are. So it's hard for us to really study, you know, the subject when, when we are both the the person that studying it and, and the subject matter at the same time. Uh, so I think some of this conversation get, gets into the profound, right? And I think some of it uh, really depends on your belief systems and, and what you believe in. I happen to believe that um, humans are more than just the, you know, electric, Discharges in our neurons or, or the chemical reactions that are happening in our brain. I believe there's more to being human than that. And and, and I think a lot of it is things that we don't understand. Back to your point, right? Because um, it's it's beyond our ability to really know what it is. And that gets into the matter of, of the soul, right? Uh, and, and the soul can be defined in, in so many ways. But I think there is this other aspect of being human that is more than just the mechanics behind it. And and I think that ties in with this concept of consciousness. And that's where I think the machines can't touch. I think the machines will always be um, based on the desires that humans, we have intrinsic desires that we can impart to the machines uh, but I don't think the machines will develop their own intrinsic desires, uh, and and so you know it, it gets a little philosophical and, and complex. But those are sort of my high level thoughts on it.
0: Well, that makes sense, and that ties into something that I found is explanatory, and what I've been asked to speak on AI. Although I don't consider myself really an AI expert, I'm just somebody who uses it a lot, like the rest of us. I'm trying to learn how to best use it. Yeah. Uh, I've been involved in some software projects involving AI that predated chat GPT coming out. So I have some understanding from working with some high-level experts on that. And the, But the Chinese room experiment seems to be explanatory. and I'm sure you're familiar with that. Somebody's sitting in a room and they are they can't see what's outside. And people put notes written in Chinese under the door. And then he has a rule book on what to respond to what symbols with. And he sees the other symbols to respond with and he follows the rule book, but he has no idea what the symbols ever mean. Although he's, for right. these rules, he's putting out the correct responses. But somebody yeah. from outside the room might think he understands Chinese, but he doesn't. Yeah. Because he's simply responding to symbols with rules. Right. And, and I think that helped explain it to a certain group of people, how AI is... Not conscious the way we are, but is pre-programmed to a set of rules to appear to be, in some situations.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think you know we can see that. You know, I don't know if you've seen some of these interviews with uh, Sophia and, and other robots, and and you know the, the interviewer may ask you know uh, a provoking question like you know, so are you conscious? You know, do you uh, uh, understand uh, these deeper questions about consciousness and so on, and the machine may respond back, yeah, I have feelings or you know, I, I understand pain and I understand consciousness, but the machine is just responding to those symbols, just like you explained, right? It's, it's not really true that they have, they're just they're regurgitating back to us what we taught them, right? So it's, it's fascinating.
0: It is, and it creates a lot of odd dynamics, I think, in some cases with what people tend to project on AI. Yeah. So um, I'm a big fan of human performance enhancement, and I I was deep in sports psychology, also in neuro-linguistic programming. I use it in my coaching in thought leadership, Mm -hmm. because part of that isn't just creating thought leadership campaigns, it's helping develop people's ability to to lead thinking, to be leaders, generate their own models, and that's the human performance thing. And I, I've thought about how AI could be a powerful adjunct. And just imagine an athlete who wants to improve performance in the sport and there's specific movements that he or she wants to get better at. And perhaps a virtual reality simulation guided by AI, they could watch themselves modeling somebody who is already an expert at that to train the neural pathways to approximate expert performance, even slowing it down. And with some type of biofeedback, AI interpreting the muscular response or the EEG or other types of biofeedback, the brain response to help provide with that biofeedback loop, enhancement of performance. Have you, have you looked into things like that or what your thoughts on AI and in other areas I may not have thought of in enhancing human performance?
1: Yeah, I have thought about this, uh, particularly in terms of education, right. And and the way I think about this is I think AI is going to evolve to really learn deeply our, you know, uh, ability to, to learn, our ability to uh, improve performance, our ability to uh, deal with all the challenges that we deal with. And I think AI can become a tremendous uh, helper in helping humans become better at learning, at performing, at a number of different areas. So I think um, there's a huge potential there because you're gonna have this you know, on-demand tutor uh, or coach or teacher that's going to be there for you at, at any moment that knows exactly you know how you learn it knows uh, your state of mind at that specific point in time whether you're ready to absorb some new information or not you know so I think it's going to know each individual intimately and be able to be a, a very effective coach So I think that's the positive side of of, of this conversation. Now, I also have some concerns about using AI as a uh, performance enhancement capability, if you will. And my concern is that, um, you know, to what degree are we going to give up our privacy in order to take advantage of these performance enhancement capabilities? So, you know, we're already dealing with that situation today, right? So every time we interact with a computer, whether you're doing, you know, emails on on Gmail or whether you're browsing the web, uh, you are giving up a little bit of your privacy, but it's something that you need because, you know, it's part of how we work as a society today. We need to have access to these tools and you're giving up a little bit of your privacy, I think that's going to grow exponentially too. We're going to have more and more uh, exposure to potential uh, systems and processes that are going to expose our most intimate thoughts and behaviors and strengths and weaknesses. And the question becomes who has access to that and, and who you know will uh, determine to what extent the that knowledge can be used for or against you so i do have some concerns from a privacy standpoint and and we'll see where that goes
0: i, I think those are important concerns i've had some discussions with with the group that's developing a blockchain solution to managing online identity privacy where there's, there's a system where they if you interact with a form online, it only releases specifically what that needs in order to interact with them, but not other information. Um, But from a a marketing standpoint, and I'm involved in that a lot, there seems to be a dominant paradigm where people are seen as targets to market at. And a belief system that they're going to repeat their past behavior. So the more we know about them, the better we can predict their future behavior, which to me is dysfunctional on a number of levels. It doesn't assume any creativity because they're only based on their past behavior. One definition I've had for creativity is how different your behavior is than what AI could have predicted based on your past behavior right uh so it doesn't assume creativity and uh, treating people as targets is certainly not designing the marketing from their point of view and if i think if you don't include the customer point of view and design it because they're really in control of what they pay attention to they're in control of who they buy from they set the value of a service they set the value of media to promote a service and only by their attention we do that but i think that that paradigm has been so dominant because the big internet players have based their models on that, and Google, Google's advertising and Facebook's tracking and things like that have been based on the assumption that you can best market to people by targeting them. But I think there's other paradigms that can be as effective. But I wonder if we need a shift in paradigm like that, so that we we have a move towards greater privacy in general and how data is used, because we realize it's actually yes, you less useful to. Try to harvest somebody's data to target them than it is to use technology to serve them, to find out what they want and better give it to them.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a it's a really big ethical issue that we as a society need to wrestle with and, and come up with you know the right policies, the right regulations to um, do something that is beneficial to society. Uh, but at the same time, keeping the right balance, right? Because we don't want to necessarily prevent us from moving forward in beneficial ways. But this whole issue of cognitive liberty is an issue that I think is is a big deal because what's happening is this technology is evolving extremely fast. And we already have today, um, you know, technologies uh, like EEG, electroencephalography, that can read your thoughts. you know, you can use yeah. consumer grade devices. You can use like uh, headbands or ear earbuds that can you know detect your emotional state, that can pick up the uh, face of a person that you're thinking about, that can guess the pin number that you're about to enter. So it has those capabilities today. So think about an employee at a place of employment. And that employer monitoring your brainwaves—does uh, that employer have the right to know what you're thinking? Does that employer have the right to know what your mental state is? You know, it, it gets pretty, pretty deep and, and complex because you know the technology is available right now. So, how are we going to use that technology? Are we going to use it to monitor employees? I and mean, there's already there are already companies out there that are doing this, and it's uh, it's a pretty scary thought.
0: That seems really dysfunctional to me it it is It seems to come from the whole command and control management philosophy of the the top does all the thinking and the workers just do what we bid, but that doesn't really work in an economy system where technical workers and levels of deep expertise know more about their work than their bosses do for one thing. In nearly every service company, the frontline service people know more about customer demand than the leaders sitting in the ivory tower do, and if they're not free to respond to that demand, that's pushing dysfunction through the system. So it seems like we need to upgrade our paradigms to fit the, the ability to use technology. To uh, We got to make sure we got the right paradigm to work with technology, don't we?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think what's fascinating is, um, you know, this evolution of technology is really forcing us to rethink about all these different paradigms, you know, things that we've used in the past that may not be applicable in today's world anymore, uh, and really think deeply about who do we want to become as a society, who do we want to become as people. And what are some of the practices that are acceptable and what are the practices that are not acceptable? I think the, um, there's gonna be a lot of interesting dialogues and debates around all of these issues that, um, that need to occur. You know, the challenge is the technology is changing much faster than our ability to come up with these conversations and come up with, you know, right. good conclusions and, and policies and, and, and laws. So um, that's my concern. It's just the things are cha- uh, are changing extremely fast, and I don't know that we have the ability to keep up with it.
0: I I would agree with that. From what I from what I've observed, um, this this is fascinating. It just makes me wonder about things. If technology, rightly used, could create a more free, decentralized society. Yeah. Wrongly used, it could be used as control mechanisms in in a society that I know some say is largely controlled by corporations who can donate unlimited money to politicians who then do their bidding rather than, you know, that that's better for the good of the whole. Yeah. And it just can, of course, amplify it in the wrong piece. So I think we need people who are thinking and writing about subjects like this, like you are, and sharing that information like you are. It's very important. And switching gears a little bit, you do some work with strategy and, and technology transformation with organizations. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, I do provide some, uh, some consulting services. I, I, I do uh, some education work. So I'm currently uh, partnering with the University of Minnesota to help upskill the workforce of local companies here on AI so that they're ready for this transformation, for this transition. Um, I have um, done work on transformation initiatives, strategic advising, and so on.
0: Well, that's that's a huge subject now. What What's involved, in, as much as you can condense into a short podcast, <laughs> in, in such, Technology adoption transformations. If an organizations and say leaders listening to this saying, Well, I wonder how that can apply to my 500 employee um, service, but tech supported oriented company, what would that mean to him or her?
1: Yeah. So, you know, a lot of it is um, managing change, right? So, managing change is, is really critical. Um, being able to become a learning organization, right? Understanding that things are changing very, very fast. And that if you want to thrive in this environment, you know, we have to be open to change. So it's, it's developing that growth mindset. Um, and and this, this whole idea of the growth mindset is, is really fascinating. Um, the, the one story that I always like to refer to is the story of Microsoft because, um, you know, if you remember back in the early 2000s, Microsoft was in, in real trouble, right? Yeah. Uh, the, the tech community thought Microsoft was was done. But, um, you know, they promoted Satya Nadella to CEO. And Satya Nadella had been at the company for several years and he knew the culture at Microsoft really well. Mm-hmm. And one of the observations was that at, at Microsoft, the employees had tended to have... What's referred to as a fixed mindset. And in this case, it was, you know, part of the culture where people wanted to prove and show that they were smart. And so you'd go into a meeting and 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 the go, every, you know, every employee is trying to outsmart their peers, try to show how smart they are. And if that's your mindset, if that's your your predisposition. Then you're not necessarily, you know, listening to other people. You're not necessarily open to new ideas because you think you already know everything, and you're this market person in the room, right? And so he came in, and he really put a lot of effort into changing that culture from this fixed mindset to a growth mindset. And with a growth mindset, you know, you you become more humble. You you become open to to listening. You you know develop empathy and and he really emphasized empathy as a key component for innovation within Microsoft and I think the results speak for themselves right I mean you just look at Microsoft today and it's like unbelievable what they were able to to do you know and 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 you know become once again the the one of the most influential technology companies in the world
0: that's a fascinating example of a shift in belief systems and values in an organization. Yeah. Quite a success story for an individual to, to pull that off on. Absolutely. Any yeah. So usually at this point in the podcast is we're about to wind things up. And, and first of all, to the listener, I'm going to put links to David's material and his books on the episode page on thoughtleadershipstudio.com. It's linked to in the episode description as well. Um, But usually I'm doing two things. I'm asking for what would you recommend our listener do and how to get a hold of you. But I'm going to ask you a little bit differently. What should we do as a society as a whole with artificial intelligence? What what were the top three things to you that we all should take responsibility for, but as a society do with artificial intelligence integration, first of all? And then second, if someone's listening to this thinking that, you know, you could be a fit to help them with an organization or speaking engagement or so forth. How would they get a hold of you?
1: Yeah. So, to the first part, um, one thing is to really understand and accept the fact that, you know, th- this train has left the station. So there's no going back. Uh, AI will continue to evolve. You know, we've had conversations about putting a, a moratorium in place or things of that nature. I just don't think that's going to happen because you can't do that globally. And and there are many, uh, you know, uh, obstacles to doing something like that effectively. So this technology is here to stay. It's very transformational in nature. So I think what most people need to do and what society needs to do is embrace it, uh, learn what it is, uh, separate the hype from the reality, understand how this technology works, Uh, and educate society. I think society needs to be educated on what this is all about. Um, I do believe there are some ethical concerns that we need to work through. You know, I mentioned privacy. Um, You know, we have the issue of accountability. You know, who becomes accountable when AI makes a decision that has negative consequences? You know, today we have this black box problem where... You know, AI may make decisions that we don't even understand as humans. So, you know, what does that mean in terms of accountability? So there's a number of really complex, difficult ethical issues that we as a society need to wrestle with. We need to debate. We need to come up with regulations and policies that will allow us to deal effectively with this technology but at the same time, you know, not stop it completely because that's just not realistic. This thing is here, it's here to stay. It's going to continue growing. And then we as humans, we need to learn how to collaborate with these machines, with the technology, um, learn how we can bring our human capabilities, the human intuition, the human intelligence to complement the machines and let the machines do the things that they're really good at let's focus on doing the things that we are really good at because i think there are things like we talked about before that we can do that i don't think the machines will ever be able to to do like you know developing relationships and and, and having empathy and developing trust they be be able to mimic those things i think they'll be very good at mimicking those things but that doesn't necessarily mean that that they have those those capabilities um so that's sort of my thought on at a high level, what we need to do uh, as a society and as humans. Uh, people can get a hold of me uh, on LinkedIn, I'm active on LinkedIn, so uh, David Spindola, uh on LinkedIn. Uh, I have my own website, davidspondola.com, and you can uh, get a hold of me through there as well.
0: Great. I'm linking to all this on on the page as well. It's been a pleasure, David. This has been fascinating.
1: Yeah, it's been a great conversation. I really appreciate you having me uh, on the show here for this.
0: My pleasure. Thought Leadership Studio. So this has been Thought Leadership Studio, episode 66. I'm your host, Chris McNeil, and today we discuss the interplay of artificial intelligence and humanity with David Espindola, touching on fascinating subjects like insights from his book, Soulful AI, examining the intricate relationship between AI and human consciousness, creating goal focused systems that include both artificial intelligence and humans. The relationship of our sense of self and our interplay with AI, the relationship of human consciousness with AI, fascinating stuff. As we all work on integrating artificial intelligence more and more into our world, it's kind of have to these days. The genie is out of the bottle. And if you're listening on an app, make sure you click the link in the episode description to go to the episode page on thoughtleadershipstudio.com because I have a link to David's book. I have a link to his website. I have a picture story about this episode to help ingrain it in the memory and get maximum benefit from it. And a link to get the free Marketer's Guide to Strategic Thought Leadership Instant Download to help you with the building blocks of your own thought leadership. And if you are a solopreneur or C-suite entrepreneur, wanting to go from six figures to seven figures or seven figures to eight through strategic thought leadership, I would love to have a conversation with you. There's a link for three 30-minute thought leadership discovery meeting on the episode page as well. In any case, I appreciate you listening. Look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Thought Leadership Studio.